Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Jonas here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And it's been a two-in-one stretch since the last show. A couple wins against the Rockets and the Hornets and a kind of annihilation by the Lakers. The, the game ended up only being 11. If you watched the game, you know it was never really that close. The Lakers in cruise control after a 30-point halftime lead and, and the Bulls slowly clawed back to make it quasi-respectable. But it, you know, the game was never in doubt. And uh, the Bulls pretty much just got crushed in that game. And we saw what a difference Anthony Davis makes. Uh, so, you know, there we go. Uh, the Bulls now are kind of through this stretch of the schedule where people said it was really brutal. I, I never thought the schedule was as bad as most people who felt the Bulls had this really brutal first-half schedule. I think they've pretty much right around league average. Now, they did have some games that flipped. You know, a couple of those games against Dallas ended up being much easier than we expected, one without Doncic, one without like five of their rotation players in it. So those games kind of went from games you expected to be pretty difficult but even full strength, like I don't think we looked at the Mavs and like, yeah, this is an elite team. You know, so they were, they were a good team that became maybe an average to bad team. And then one against the Rockets, which obviously after trading James Harden, that game didn't become as difficult as we may have thought it looked on paper coming into the season. But again, even coming into the season with James Harden's whole situation being crazy, I don't think the Rockets looked like an amazing team. You know, outside of that, at the beginning, who have you really played? You played the Lakers twice. Great to get those out of the way. The Clippers once. Yeah, I guess good to get that one of those two out of the way, and they'll be coming up again soon. And the, and the Milwaukee Bucks once. And other than that, it's it's not been like a murderer's row. So I think I think the schedule is fine. It's been a pretty balanced schedule. A lot of decent teams. They've not played a lot of bottom-rung teams yet. And, and so I think that's the difference. But then a lot of the teams we expected to be bottom-rung, you know, so far aren't. And I, I don't know if it's just part of this COVID year, but you look at the East standings right now, and the Knicks are eight and nine. You know the Bulls seven and nine, kind of similar. Uh, the Cavs eight and seven. The Hawks eight and seven. You know, so a lot of those teams that we thought were going to be, you know, pretty bad so far really haven't been. I mean, I think really the only team that has been god awful that we expected to be god awful is the Detroit Pistons. You know, the, the Washington Wizards are pretty awful, and you know the Bulls beat them twice. But you know, even the Wizards. We're a team we kind of expected to be better after getting Russell Westbrook. We thought he'd at least give them a shot in the arm to help get to average. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, probably we thought, yeah, it's, I don't think anyone looked at that team and said it's going to be great, but I don't know. Like, they're the worst team in the West and maybe the, the third worst record, second worst record in the league. So I, th I think that is a team that's definitely a little bit worse. And the Pelicans have been one of the worst teams in the league. I don't think anyone thought they were going to be so awful coming in. So... You know, the, the standings so far are a little bit all over the board, and maybe that just speaks to the craziness of the year. I can't say I've tracked the injuries and the COVID contact tracing outages of all teams in the league to know how many of those records are impacted by just, you know, random players being missing. But it, it is kind of a weird season in terms of who's doing well and who isn't. And, you know, that might be something we, we see just kind of happen all year. You know, a lot of teams playing a little bit better than we thought, and a lot of teams like, Miami six and nine, Toronto six and nine. And the teams we thought would be pretty solid in playoff teams currently on the outside looking in, not even right now set up to make it to the playing game. So we'll see how that happens. You know, I expect that to balance out over time, but it, it will be interesting. Toronto is a team I could see like legitimately falling off the cliff. Now, Miami, I think I don't. I thought they had a magical run last year. I didn't think they were as good as their finals appearance 
made them out to be, and it doesn't surprise me they're not as good, but certainly I think they're better than 6-9, and nine, and I think they'll eventually be a playoff team. So it will be interesting to see how the schedule kind of unfolds. Now the Bulls are kind of inter- entering into an interesting stretch in the schedule. Uh, they've got three games coming up against teams that are classifying the like better than average but not great teams. You know, like these are these are good teams, but they're not great teams. With the Celtics, Grizzlies, and Blazers as as their next three games, and so the Bulls right now they're kind of like a team that's fighting to be average in my opinion. So like they they should be underdogs in all three of these games most likely. And you want to see them win at least one. You know, if, if they won two, you'd be ecstatic. And if they won all three, I'd just be shouting for rooftops. So, you know, it's tough because you never want to say one, in, one out of three games is a good stretch. It's not a good stretch. But if you go 0-3, I think you should be, you know, pretty disappointed with how this has happened. If you win one, you know, you should be like, eh, okay, it's fine. You know, some good teams, as long as the other games are close. And if you win two, you should be very happy. That's kind of my expectation for the next three games before the next show. And then after that, and maybe I guess I'll talk about this a little bit next week, you have a really interesting uh, set of games coming up where you've got four games in the following week, two against the Knicks and two against the Magic. And those four games are going to be against teams that you're really directly competing for the 7th, 8th type, 9th, uh, 10th type spots for. And so I think these are the games that are going to make you know, it really interesting to see how well the Bulls can play and whether they're really going to ascend to being from a bottom feeder team to kind of like an average team. You know, when you're really a poor team and you're trying to make that leap, you know, the first thing is, hey, can I take care of business against the bad teams? And I think the Bulls have done a nice job of that this year. When they've played depleted teams or they've played bad teams, they've, they've generally done a really nice job of closing out those games. And when they've played average teams, and they've not played a whole lot of them, I think they've done, they've done okay. And then when they've played good teams, you know, they've not beaten a good team yet. Now, granted, I'd say... You only have four games so far against the really good teams, and, and that would be the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Bucks. You had two against the Lakers, one against the other couple of teams. So you've not had a whole lot of those yet, uh, but they've not done well in those games yet. And you, you should probably feel like, yeah, I can win, like say, one in three of these te- games against good teams if I'm an average team, maybe one in four against these like really good or great teams. I should win some of those. Like I can't lose all of them. But you want to be winning like 75% of your games, 80% of your games against the, the teams that you feel are very poor and you know, getting at least half of the, the games against the teams that are kind of in the middle. And you know, a real factor is like how well you can do against kind of average teams. So it's, it's kind of fun in a way, actually, to just be talking about the Bulls as a whole and how they could actually move towards the playoffs rather than just kind of breaking down individual players and seeing how they can improve while the Bulls are losing tons and tons of games. And so I mentioned this last show. I'll mention it again. You know, the biggest difference to me has been Billy Donovan is the coach. I, I was a guy, as you know, listening to the show who didn't think coaching made a huge difference. Uh, Billy Donovan has proven me wrong. I, I think he's only a good coach. I don't think he's an elite coach. I think he's a good coach. Uh, but he clearly was the coach the Bulls needed as a team that was very young and needed guys to get on the same page and who could help with player development and, you know, be a player's coach that really gets people to like and understand and listen to him. You know, Fred Hoiberg was theoretically a player's coach, but he didn't mesh with our players. Jim Boylan, we tried to bring in the next Tom Thibodeau, and it just didn't work at all, and it completely turned off the players. Donovan seems to be the coach that we expected Fred Hoiberg to be, the guy who can connect with players, who can run a great offense, who can get guys doing what they need to do. And you know, in fairness to Hoiberg, Billy Donovan probably has a much better roster to fit that style of play that Hoiberg wanted to play as well. So he does have that going for him. But... The, the team is really, really responding well to Donovan. 
prior to this Lakers game, they're actually top 10 in offensive efficiency. I tweeted out, like, uh, when Casey Johnson said that, yeah, go look before we play the number one defense in the league, drop to 16th. Uh, it was definitely an offensive struggle in that last game. But what the Bulls are doing really well, and I want to talk a little bit about their offense overall and, you know, why some of the things people say are difficult and a couple of things they mention on the broadcast, you know, pretty frequently and so just some general thoughts. Like one thing they say is like the turnovers are killing the Bulls. Like the, the Bulls just turn the ball over too much and that is killing them. They're one of the worst turnover teams in the league. And yes, that is absolutely true. Turnovers are killing the Bulls. But I think the thing you have to put in perspective is one, when you play a high pace offense and you're playing a high risk offense, you're moving the ball really fast, you're just going to have more turnovers. You know, so that's just part of you know, their style of play is going to slightly amp up that turnover. You're going to have more to total turnovers just by you're having more possessions. And as you play faster and a little bit more out of control, probably the number of turnovers you have per possession is going to be a little bit higher as well. Does that seem reasonable? Like just off the cuff, I think that seems reasonable. Uh, the second thing I'm going to point out is the Bulls compared to last season, they have way more motion in their offense. Now that's been really great, right? We've watched the Bulls offense moving around. Everyone is moving. There's a lot more back screens. There's a lot more basket cuts. There's a lot more guys rolling off of a, a screen at the three-point line to get open for a three-point shot. Uh, the ball handlers are moving around more. Like There's just a lot more movement. And so as guys are moving around and you're trying to hit passes with guys and people are making different reads, you also have a little bit more turnovers because you know, you're trying to hit guys in motion who are making quick decisions. And if one guy reads the defense one way and someone else reads it another way, sometimes that pass goes into a spot where you didn't expect it to be. And the Bulls have a, a very high motion offense and guys are moving around and they're moving the ball a lot more. And so because of that, you also tend to have a few more turnovers. And then the final thing is the Bulls make a lot of like, like full side-to-side -side passes across a lot of traffic. And these passes are really dangerous because they're just in the air for a long period of time. You've got to throw them really hard. And the Bulls get a lot of open looks out of those passes. You know, when you can swing the ball from the strong side to the weak side, that's a, a good way to, you know, get an open look for a player because the defense has to move a lot to cover that ground. Now, often teams, and the Bulls included in this, will swing the ball around the perimeter when you see that, like, you know, pass to one guy in the corner and he just swings it up to the top, who swings it to the side, who swings it to the other corner, and the defense is scrambling, 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 and that last guy gets the open three-point shot. The Bulls get plenty of those, and, you know, that's a little bit less risk because you're swinging around the perimeter. You're not trying to throw it through guys. But the Bulls also throw through traffic a lot with their passes, and because of that, they also are making these high-risk passes. Overall, what I'm getting at is the Bulls' offense is a high-risk, high-reward style of offense, and they're going to turn the ball over a lot. And it's, well, it's easy to say you want to see them limit some of these silly mistakes and, you know, the stepping on the end line, you know, some of the travel, some of the moving screens, whatever. Like, of course, of course you want to see them eliminate those mistakes. And, and, and they can, and they can get that number down somewhat by doing that. But you're still going to always have some amount of those base level just errors. And then you just, have, in general, have an offense that is gets you a lot of really good looks, and the Bulls are scoring very efficiently out of those good looks, but also is just a high risk. It's a high risk, high reward offense, and you're going to end up with more turnovers just in the way that they're playing the game. And so... Well, yes, I want the turnovers to be down. I think it is worth keeping that in perspective that this is going to be a high turnover team. And it's not just stupid mistakes. You know, that, that is a part of it here and there. But a lot of it is just the style of game that they're playing. And it's how they're getting their shots. Now, as guys get more comfortable in this offense and as they get more practiced and as they get better at reading each other and as you have more stable rotations, because the Bulls have had a train of guys out for different games and different rotations, different people playing with each other, 
Those things all should allow you to be more sharp, more focused, and reduce that turnover uh, number and allow you to execute this high-risk, high-reward offense with a little bit less risk. So it is something that should improve over time. It's not necessarily a terrible thing to me where it's at right now. You know, I'd obviously, like every other Bulls fan, like it to be better, but it's okay uh, to kind of have it where it is at the moment. And so looking at the Bulls players overall and and who's doing well and who's not, and you know what? Kind of almost the whole team is generally playing uh, pretty efficient basketball. Uh, It it has changed a little bit against the Lakers, but if you go back uh, a couple games, it was like, even now I've just pulled up the numbers in front of me. You've got eight players on the Bulls who have a true, oh wait, one of them is Felicio. So you got seven players on the Bulls with a true shooting percentage over 60%. Throw out Felicio because he doesn't really count. Uh, that, that's tremendous. That's tremendous offensive efficiency. And then you got Thad Young at 59%, Ryan Archidiakono at 58.6%, uh, Patrick Williams at 56.7%. Those are all fine numbers. Uh, Denzel Valentine, who had a hot start, is now down to 52.5%, pretty low for a guy who's an offensive specialist. And Kobe White at 51.7% is really. Uh, he's the lowest <clears throat> lowest guy in the rotation, unless we count Chandler Hutchison as a rotation player, who's at 34%. Uh, Kobe White is the lowest guy in the rotation. So when you look at the offensive efficiency and how the offense is flowing, right now pretty much everyone is doing a really, really nice job scoring the basketball except for Kobe White. And that's interesting only in that Kobe White is a scorer. That is Kobe White's like fundamental role on this team is to score the basketball and, and get a lot of shots up and a lot of points up. And you know, as it as it stands, despite being the lowest efficiency player on the team, he's third in scoring at 16 points a game, and he's second in shot attempts at 14.3 per game, uh, second to Zach Levine. And so, I think that's an area where, just as a coach, you have to wonder like, how long are we going to keep this at this level? How long are we going to keep this Kobe White experiment going, where we're just going to allow him to keep chucking up shots and shooting uh, just tons and tons of shots a game? but just not really making a whole lot happen. And I think that is uh, an interesting question because when I see Tomas Sadaransky playing, you know, I really feel like he's helping the other players more than Kobe White is uh, with his more steady play. But it is a little bit tricky to say because Zach Levine with Kobe White on the floor, actually I think has played a lot better because the threat of Kobe White doing something and scoring and doing a lot off the dribble is what allows Zach to actually keep his attempts lower and just take his most efficient attempts. And I think that has been tremendous for Levine because I think Levine has actually given you, you know, a really, really efficient season so far. And that is something that has not been bad for him in the past, but it's not been something he's been able to do at an elite level in the past. So, you know, right now he's at 63.5% true shooting percentage. And, you know, in the past, even though he put up big numbers, that number was down at like, say, 56%, 57%, 58%, like in that range. And so getting this significant increase in efficiency is really what takes Zach from being a good player who's a volume scorer to someone who is more of a star player. You know, you can always put up points. Someone can always put up points on a bad team. Someone typically does have to put up points on a bad team. But when you start putting up efficient points, that's when it really starts to make a difference. And Zach Levine is doing that exactly now. Uh, next player I want to chat a little bit about is Lowry Markkinen. He was off to a very hot start, and I think Lowry is one of the more controversial players on, on the team. And, you know, I've kind of said my piece on Lowry is he is a 
guy who finishes off offensive plays, as Stacy would say, the finisher. He is a good end point to the offense. He's not a good initiator to the offense, and he struggles to like, take advantage of mismatches in a significant way. When you can get him lots of open looks, he's a pretty efficient guy, but if you can't get him lots of open looks, then that starts to go away. The vast majority of his shots are wide-open three-point attempts. You know, he's, he's taking seven uh, threes a game, so it's a little bit more than half of his shots. I think it's like 66% of his threes last I looked, which is a game ago, were wide open. And so, you know, a huge percentage of his shots and a huge percentage of his points are coming off of these wide open looks. And so people will wonder, like, why can't we get Lowry the ball more? Why can't we get him more shots? And part of it is, like, your efficient offense to this guy is getting him a wide open three. Well, teams don't want to give up wide open threes to guys who are generally good three-point shooters. And so it's hard to ramp up that type of offense. I do like seeing more Lowry Zach pick and rolls. I think that's something that you would hope would be a good way to generate quality offense. I think Lowry does a, a nice job if you can get him in motion against a mismatch. You know, if there's a switch, Zach obviously can attack a mismatch really well as well. So I think there's, there's, there's a lot of potential for that play, and we've not seen it maybe as much as I'd like. But my problem overall with Lowry is I'm just not sure how much he gives me uh, if I can't generate an open look for him, and if I have to generate an open look for him, I'm not sure how valuable that is versus generating an open look for someone else. Like if I could generate lots of wide open looks for Otto Porter by playing him at the four, I feel pretty confident that Otto Porter is also going to kill uh, a lot of these open looks and going to give me great efficiency uh, overall. And, he, and, and to, to his credit, Otto Porter has done exactly that this year. And then I also feel probably a little bit more confident as Otto Porter as a passer and as a uh, defender. And so, you know, I, th I think that is like the problem with Lowry is it's not quite everything you need out of a four, but he, he's going to put up a lot of points. Uh, and I think that's great. It's a huge improvement. Like last year, his scoring efficiency was really low. So if he's scoring efficiently, but you have to do some work to get him the ball, that's not necessarily bad, not, especially not when you've got Kobe and Zach in the starting lineup who are going to do a lot of the ball handling anyway. And you want guys who can give you efficient offense without having the ball in their hand. And Lowry becomes one of those guys. I think that becomes valuable. But you're running a lot of plays to get him his looks. And so you're, you're dedicating a lot of uh, energy to get Lowry his looks. And I think that's, that's okay, especially as he scores them efficiently. But it doesn't quite rise to the level of where I think the end salary demand is going to go. Now, we'll wait and see how that uh, goes over the rest of the, the season. You know, it's on Lowry to, one, keep the general efficiency he has going. Now, his three-point shot has actually dropped down a little bit. He was up close to 40%. He's down to 36.5%. And it just shows you how much that can swing with, like, one bad game. So not to say Lowry is all of a sudden having a bad season. I think he's still having a very, very positive, improved season from last year. But it's still very early. So we've got to see how Lowry goes over this year. But I think that is going to be one of the key things is, like, how much do you pay a guy? Do you understand his limitations properly? And do you want to build around those limitations properly going forward? And I think the Bulls probably don't. And I think when they didn't come to an extension with him, it kind of signaled that. So I would not be, I think Lowry is the most likely guy in some ways to get traded uh, at the trade deadline to me. But it also means that he has to play well enough that there's teams that are out there very highly interested in him. And we'll see if those trends continue. And speaking of Otto Porter, who I mentioned as his replacement, the Bulls aren't playing Otto Porter on back-to-backs. And I think it's kind of nuts. Like, it's kind of nuts that the Bulls don't want to play Otto Porter more than 25 minutes. They don't want to play him on back-to-backs. This dude is 27 years old. He's 27 years old, and he's getting close to 28. But, man, that's like, I don't know what is wrong with, with Otto Porter, like, physically. But, like, they clearly are very, very concerned about him. 
And Otto Porter, if he could stay actually healthy and he could give me 30 minutes a game, like he might actually be worth his like old 25% max contract. Like really solid, but it's like, even in this year, even in this contract year, you know, you're only, uh, you're like, yeah, we got to keep his minutes down around 25 a game and we don't want to play him on back-to-backs. Like that's a, that's a pretty limiting factor. And so when we discussed in the past about guys you might want to trade at the deadline and, and whom teams might trade for, I think the market for Otto Porter is going to be a little bit limited uh, despite the fact that he's kind of like an ideal fit for a lot of teams that would be really good. You know, especially if they could unload a two-year contract that's not so great, take back an expiring deal, and then give the Bulls a, a draft pick or two. Like that's probably a, a trade that works out really well for them. Even if they just trade like a, you know, some dead money and uh, they only have him for one year, it's like a, a deal that could probably work really well for them. But the, the fact that Otto Porter is so limited minutes-wise and in, in back-to-back games and stuff like that, the team is going to have to be nervous. Now in the playoffs, you don't have any back-to-backs. So maybe that goes away. And that might actually change depending if they do the bubble. I guess I don't want to dive down that road. Bubble playoffs seem to be a little bit different, but historically in the playoffs, there's no back-to-backs. And so if they do maintain that trend this year, and I have no reason to think that they won't unless they're just trying to crush it all in before the Olympics or something, then then Otto Porter is maybe fine for the playoffs. So maybe that won't come into play. But I think I think that's like an interesting thing to keep an eye on. One thing I wanted to then speak about as well is Thaddeus Young. And so Thad Young, he seems to be generally kind of like missing some minutes. You know, with Lowry coming back into the lineup, Thad Young has played less. And so getting back to what Lowry does well and what Thad does well, I kind of was thinking about it, and I'm like, I sort of trust Thad to do pretty much everything better than Lowry, except shoot three-point shots. Like, I mean, it, it's, it, it's kind of indisputable, right, that Thad Young is a better... Uh, ball handler, right? I mean, he used to play small forward. I, I think he's definitely a better ball handler. I think I think it's pretty undeniable he's a better passer. Like I, I think that is, you know, something that would be, you know, like pretty obvious to me. Um, it, it's better defender, right? Like that's not even close. And you know, so Lowry, better shooter, I, I think for sure, better three point shooter, like absolutely. And you know, better score. Probably. He's definitely getting at more points per 36 minutes and, uh, you know, overall uh, more efficient than, than Thad Young is, though. They're, they're both very efficient. Uh, and, and the three-point shots maybe gives Lowry a little bit of an edge there. Maybe that's what it is. But, yeah, I mean, I just feel like Thad Young on the court helps you uh, as much as Lowry does and maybe more. And he's like, yeah, this is a veteran guy. You got him for $14 million a year for three years. Like, you start looking at paying Lowry... 20-something a year, and I start thinking, like, yeah, I, I kind of, in a critical moment, feel like I'd rather have Thad Young out there than Lowry, and, you know, it, so why am I going to pay Lowry that much? Now, Lowry obviously has a lot of potential. Thad is actually going to decline in value as he ages. You know, like, he can't keep Thad Young. There's no long-term solution there, so you'd have to find the next Thad Young to, to, to pay and play and whatever, and, you know, any anytime you try and get someone as young as Lowry, there's absolutely a premium paced or placed on that age factor, right? Because Lowry at 23, we've seen what Zach has been able to do from 23 to 25 in terms of improvement. And so a lot of times we try to write off guys and say they sort of are who they are after three years in the league, four years in the league. And that's kind of true. Like you sort of know who a guy is, but don't understate the incremental improvements a guy can make year over year over year. So Lowry is still probably over the next five years has that opportunity to continue to make incremental improvements 
and, and maybe nudge his game up a little bit. And it's like you only have to do a few things to get a little better there for now. And I know I'm back on Lowry now rather than Thad, so I kind of lied to you. The thing I think Lowry really needs to show me to be a valuable contributor to this team and, and someone I want to keep long-term is while he continues to get most of his shots on wide open threes, I need to see that three-point percentage jump up to like 42%. You know, I think if you're going to take mostly wide open threes and, and you're going to be a three-point shooting specialist, I need that number to be up to like 42%. Someone who looks really deadly. And, you know, if you're starting to take off the dribble threes, if someone closes out on you and you do a pump fake into a one dribble sidestep three and you start shooting like a bunch of those and, and you start increasing your difficulty of what you're doing, then all of a sudden, yeah, that 38% mark is, is pretty good. Like you look at Zach's 38%, but he's taking ridiculously difficult threes. I'm okay with that. That's actually a, a really good number because he's able to get up so many attempts and he's able to generate attempts for you out of nothing. And so Lowry, if he's not going to generate me attempts out of nothing, I need to see that percentage tick over 40% for sure to still feel very confident about him as a scorer going forward. The other thing he could do is if he starts consistently taking advantage of mismatches and scoring a, a lot more points in the paint, and, and maybe that's on the Bulls to find him more and do more for him, but then he has to do that. I don't think he's going to be a creator ever if he somehow could become one great. Uh, if he can incrementally improve on defense, and I have definitely seen incremental improvements this year, if he can continue that trend, then that might be something else that adds to it as well. Uh, final player I'm going to maybe touch on today as well because he's had a, a rough couple games is Patrick Williams. And so I've never been as high as the Patrick Williams bandwagon has been, uh, you know, in general. And so now that he's had a couple dips in, in somewhat poor games, I see a few people like maybe a little bit more concerned with who Pat Williams can become and, and how good of a player he is. And so instead, I'm not going to play the opposite of that. I'm going to say, you know, he's still fine. He's still very good. You know, what I, the, the thing I say, I would say consistently I've seen from Patrick Williams is he's a little bit of a passive player versus an, uh, an overly active player. And so as a new player in the league, right, you're, you're, a fresh, you're a rookie. You're coming into the league. You don't know the personnel. You don't know all the sets. You don't know the schedule. Uh, you're probably on some elite college team that wins 90% of its games, and now you're losing like more than half your games because you're on a bad team. There's like a lot to, to learn. You know, you're playing against grown-ass men, as they like to say. It is, there's a lot going on. You know, there's a lot to do. Some players are going to come out there, and they're going to be extremely aggressive, and they're going to make a lot of mistakes because they're way too aggressive, and they don't know their boundaries yet, and they're going to push the limits of their boundaries, and they're going to settle into the right place by realizing which things they can't get away with. And I'm going to use LaMelo Ball as an example of a player like that. Now, who knows if LaMelo Ball will look really good or not. I thought he looked like trash in the Bulls game. But, you know, it was a really down game for him. He actually got benched in that game. So I'm not going to, like, write LaMelo's biography off that game or anything. It's, it's just our one opportunity to see him there with, uh, against our team. But LaMelo Ball is the guy who's clearly going to push the limits of everything he can do. Like, he's, he's, he's going to make crazy passes. He's going to make a lot of turnovers. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. He's going to take a lot of shots. He's going he's gonna to go in there. And Kobe White, maybe if we want a Bulls example, is a similar guy. Like, Kobe White is just, we've thrown him in the fire. Hey, you're a point guard now. You know, like, maybe you weren't really a point guard, but now you are. You're going to lead the offense. Uh, you're going to take a lot of shots. Uh, even though you're not doing a lot really well, we're going we're gonna to demand a lot of you, and, and you're going to go out there. Maybe the Bulls are demanding it. Maybe that's just the way Kobe plays, and he's doing it anyway. But so Kobe is making mistakes of like aggressiveness and LaMelo Ball will make mistakes of aggressiveness. Like they're doing more than they're really capable of doing and they're trying it and they're finding their limits by going past what probably they reasonably can do. And Patrick Williams doesn't do that. Patrick Williams on both ends of the court, he's not going past what he reasonably can do. 
he's trying to not make mistakes of over-aggressiveness. Like he's, he's generally a little bit passive in kind of everything he does, uh, be it defense, be it offense, whatever. He's just a little bit passive in everything he does. And so most of the time you watch Patrick Williams and you're upset, you're like, man, I wish this guy was just a little bit more aggressive in everything he's doing. Like, wow, they're, they're kind of closing out on him a little slower on the three-point line. Just attack the basket. You look so good every time you attack the basket and you're dunking. Like, why don't you attack more? Even if you make some turnovers or miss some shots or whatever, just, just go for it, man. Just, like, just attack. And so Patrick Williams is finding out his limits by gradually increasing what he attempts to do on the floor. And that's also okay, right? Like it's a different level of frustration. Like you see some guys are like, yeah, they're just going out trying to do everything and they do everything super inefficiently. But then a year later, like they start to find their right niche and they they come to the right place. And Patrick Williams is kind of taking the opposite approach of that. He's doing a lot less uh, than maybe he can because he doesn't want to make these mistakes. And what that does is it makes him a pretty high floor player as a rookie because he's not making all of these rookie mistakes that destroy you. He's being a little bit more careful, and he's first thinking, like, don't screw up, do no harm. Like, Patrick Williams out there is a do-no-harm type player first. And then you see him slowly ramping up that activity, and as the defense adjusts to him and he has to adjust, he'll start changing what he does, I think. And so uh, with all of that said, I do think Patrick Williams is going to trend into a a very, very good player still. I, I question whether he'll be a great player, but I think he'll be a very good player. Like the worst case scenario is you're going to get a very good player, a two-way player, a versatile player, a guy who can do a lot of things for you. Looks so far, so far, like he's going to be a solid three-point shooting player as well. Uh, hopefully that trend continues. And he's going to be a guy who can be a solid defender. And I don't think he was great against uh, Gordon Hayward, against uh, the Charlotte Hornets, but we'll see. Yeah, he's getting a lot of experience. The Bulls are already putting him on the other team's most explosive wing player every game. And so I think that's great to see, great education. So if you are one of those people who gets like a little bit like, oh man, did I peg this guy wrong? You know, I don't think most people feel that way about rookies, but I've just read a little bit about that. The little people getting a little nervous. Yeah, I, I just go back to patience. You should always have a little patience with your rookie, but don't think just because he's a little passive now that that's going to be how he is forever. Like I said, I think there's a good chance that this is a guy who's just going to slowly push his limits up and up and up instead of trying to say like, I'm going to throw myself in the fire and I'm going to try and do too much. He's like, I'm going to try to avoid mistakes and I'm going to gradually improve what I do. And I think that's like the Jimmy Butler approach. And, you know, it works for some guys. Obviously, lots of guys. We'll take LeBron James as an example. LeBron James, if you look at his first year efficiency stats and other stuff, it's like awful. Like he came in and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do everything. But he didn't do anything efficiently. But you could see all the flashes and all the signs and all the other stuff. You look at Jimmy Butler, two years in the league, like, yeah, dude wasn't doing much of anything, right? Like, he was just super cautious. And then slowly, as he got more comfortable, became the star player. And so if Patrick Williams does become a star player, and I think obviously highly questionable whether that happens, if he does, it's going to be through that Jimmy Butler approach of, like, I'm going to slowly learn about the league and slowly learn what I can do, and then I'm going to start applying it more and more as I feel comfortable rather than pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And it's a viable approach for a player as well. And so don't get, you know, don't get too upset there. Final thing maybe I'll talk about, and I, I know the show is dragging on, uh, and maybe I touched on it a teeny bit earlier. Tomas Sidoransky is back. Uh, he's only played around 12 minutes a game. I think the Bulls got to find some ways to get him more minutes. And I think the biggest debate over the next 10 games is going to c- turn out to be, do we need to limit Kobe White's minutes some in order to get more of Tomas Sadoransky on the floor. And I think that's going to come down to, do you want to win games or do you want to develop Kobe White? 
Kobe White is currently playing 34 minutes a game, and uh, Tomas Samaransky is at 18 minutes a game, but he's only been around 12. I don't know if he's just maybe still kind of recovering from COVID and not fully at his conditioning level, or if it's just Garrett Temple has played so great they don't want to pull Temple off the floor, and, and you got to find minutes for these guys, and it's tough. And you know Denzel Valentine up until the last couple of games is playing really excellently, and so they're trying to find some minutes for him. So you do have a little bit of a minutes crunch with all these guys as well that's hurting you. But I do think at some point, if Kobe White doesn't start turning around, you're going to have to start limiting his minutes. You might see Kobe White's minutes dip down to like 26 a game if the Bulls want to try to win games. And, you know, instead of just throwing him 35 minutes a game to develop him while he's really kind of shooting the Bulls out of a lot of games. You know, like I, I just, they're not getting great looks when he's shooting the ball. Almost every other look beside a Kobe White look is a better look uh, for everyone in the rotation. So... We'll see uh, how that trends out, but I would not be surprised if we start to see eventually the Bulls, especially if they do well over this next few games and they're trending towards 500, you might see them start thinking like, we'll still leave Kobe as a starter perhaps, but maybe we, we hook him like six minutes in and we bring in Sadoransky to see how he can play with some of these guys. I, I just think like at some point if you're trying to win games, you're going to have to give a bit fewer developmental minutes uh, to Kobe White unless he starts turning this performance around. Anyway, that will do it for this edition of the Bulls Week. Hope Bulls Beat Bulls Week. Hopefully the next Bulls Week will be a better, uh, I shouldn't say better. Last week was actually really good at 2-1. Hopefully we'll get the same 2-1 or, or even 3-0. I don't think it's likely, but hopefully we have a good week. You know, like I said, one game is, is sort of like the draw in this scenario. Uh, two games is, is the upside. Feel great. Three, we feel invincible, and I start booking my championship tickets. And uh, zero wins, and you know maybe we'll be back on the tank bandwagon. Probably not really. All right, I'll talk to you next week.